What happens if we believe that we can worship God without assembling with a local body of believers? Lots of professing Christians do it every week. Some do nothing more than watch an online preacher, and others don't even do that. How bad could the consequences possibly be? Big stuff happens when God's people come together for God's purposes. But when God's people don't come together, those big things don't happen. But it gets worse than that. Not only do we miss out on the blessings, there are dire consequences when we neglect the corporate worship of God. The one true God of the universe has existed since eternity past in ultimate perfection. He spoke the cosmos into existence for his soul, honor, and glory. He moved heaven and earth to redeem mankind, even though we have nothing to offer him. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration. He deserves our praise. I'm your host, A.M. Brucer, and this is the Celebration of God. Welcome to the fifth and final episode in our Celebrating God at Church series. We've been working through this series for the past year, so if you're new to the show, I encourage you to use the links in the description of this episode to check out the first parts of the series. Of course, if you're new to the Celebration of God completely, I welcome you and encourage you to listen to our introductory episodes. They will help you better understand what the year-long Celebration of God is and how to do it better. But if you've been with us for a while, will you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? You can also review us on Facebook. That would be cool, too. It only takes a couple minutes, and it's such a blessing. And of course, check out celebrationofgod.com to get your free episode notes and transcript of today's show, as well as a ton of other resources for worshiping God every minute of every day. And with that, today we finish up the Celebrating God at Church series. It's been such a great study for me. In fact, I need to be transparent with you. I had no idea what this study had in store for me when I first started it. Oftentimes, when I get an idea for an episode or a series, it'll be just that, a small idea. It may just even be a title. And that's exactly how this series started. All I had was a title and a subtitle. I didn't even have any specific scriptures notated. Sometimes I'll have fully realized concepts noted in my ideas, but not for this one. The idea originally rose because many of the families with whom I worked at Victory Academy didn't take church very seriously. And I saw the obvious issues that arose from that. And having graduated from seminary and been a church attender all my life, I knew the Bible had a lot to say on the subject, but I was having a difficult time coming up with anything other than Hebrews 10.25. But you know what? I found that the studies I do for this podcast, on which I haven't previously spoken, are the ones that really rock my world. Like I said, I've been attending church since my first week of life. Even in my teens, when I was double-minded, I still enjoyed the assembling of the church. But this study has given me a new appreciation of some of the specifics regarding God's purpose for the church. It's given me clarity that I believe will stay with me the rest of my life. And I pray it will with you as well. And today is no different. Today we discuss the consequences of neglecting the assembly. It's not pretty, but we need to see this, and we need to be moved by it. And we have to start with this very important observation. Number one, if you start going to church simply because the consequences of not going frightens you, you're not going for the right reason. That's a selfish motivation. It's self-serving. Even if it's fear for your spiritual health or for your kids, it's not the motivation we should have. I pray that your ongoing desire to darken the door of your local assembly is nothing more than realizing that God is awesome and He deserves our obedience. And assembling together is His command to all of His people. And if you do that, 
And if you participate in the purpose of the assembly, I promise you that you'll receive the blessed consequences God has in store for you, and you won't need to fear the negative consequences. Once again, we need to come to grips with our natural propensity to respond to life the wrong way. We're generally far too concerned with the secondary consequences of our sin and not concerned enough with the primary consequences of our sin. If we go to church because we don't want the secondary consequences, but the primary consequences of displeasing our Lord don't really matter, then God won't be glorified by your attendance. That's number one. Number two, we will receive the primary consequences of our sin if we neglect to attend. Our relationship with the Lord will be strained. The God who purchased our salvation and provided a way to restore our relationship with Him will be ignored as we do our yard work, watch our football games, or catch up on some needed rest. And that is desperately sad. Now, we should be able to end the series right there and just be done. That's the consequences of neglect. But there are still other biblical consequences with which we must be familiarized. Number three, if we neglect church, then we're missing out on the purpose of church. We won't be equipped by the pastor for the work of the ministry. We won't be equipped to evangelize, and we won't be equipped to do the one another's, and we won't be involved in the corporate celebration of God. That alone is an extremely sad reality. Picture it this way. A woman gets accepted into some prestigious law school. She faithfully pays her tuition, but instead of going to classes, she spends every day touring the local parks and coffee shops, fully expecting that at the end of four years, she will automatically pass the bar and become a partner in a firm. How sad her delusion is and how excruciating will be her reality. In fact, she'll probably be expelled before the four years are up. How about this? A man meets a smart, talented, God-loving woman who desperately loves him. He marries her and then promptly moves to Singapore without her. He won't be able to enjoy any of the blessings and benefits of being her husband. Well, we do the same thing when we claim to have a relationship with God and then ignore his body. The greatest gift he ever gave us was the ability to have a relationship with him, and that came through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But the second greatest gift he's given us is the church. It's there that we are built up and matured into his image. It's there that we're given the tools and talents necessary to reach others with the gospel. And when we refuse to go to church or to go to the right one, we're living in a delusion that we're going to be able to enjoy the blessings of being a child of God on this earth while actively ignoring one of the greatest blessings he's given us on this earth. So the consequences of neglecting the body of Christ are that we're sinning against our God and missing out on the maturing process he's created for us. But I want to get a little more specific. Let's consider Hebrews 10, 24 again. The verse starts, and let us consider... The author is obviously continuing an idea that was started earlier, so let's do a flyover. In chapter 9, we learn about the earthly holy place in the old temple, and then we learn that the blood of Christ made it possible for us to enter the holy of holies. And then chapter 10 expounds even more on the glorious sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Then we get to Hebrews 10.19, and we encounter a therefore. And as you already know, know, and you've no doubt heard it many times, anytime you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Well, it's there because the author of Hebrews is going to say that because of everything we just learned, there are some extremely important implications it's going to have on our lives. So let's start reading in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus— by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let's stop there just for a moment. It's really nice that the author is recapping this for us. He says, since you can enter the Holy of Holies because of the blood of Christ, and since Christ is our great high priest, there are three things you need to do. We see the first one in verse 22. 
Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So because of all that Christ has done for us, we need to draw near to God in full assurance of faith, and we need to purify our hearts from our evil conscience and our bodies from sin. You see, God meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us where we are. God expects that entering into a relationship with him is going to change us. And then the author continues with the second, therefore. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Because of everything that God has done, we need to have confident hope in the promises of God. And we can do this because God himself is completely trustworthy. And then comes the third requirement of being a child of God. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Because you've been born again, God expects you to put off your old sin habits, have faith in God's truth, and actively go to work helping your fellow believers grow in love and good works. How do we do that? Well, he continues, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we stir each other up to love and good works? Obviously, it can only happen as we meet together and actively encourage one another. And that's just one of the one another's we're called to do with each other. And then the last part of the verse says that the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we should be seeking to assemble and build each other up. Why? Well, because we're running out of time. Now, normally that's about where people stop. And that's all really important, but the author doesn't stop there. He continues with another important transition. Verse 19 started with a therefore, and verse 26 starts with a for. This for can be read very much like because. So, we need to assemble together because if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then he gives us a comparative example. He says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? The idea is that the old covenant had some high expectations. But the new covenant through Christ's blood has come to fulfill the old covenant. So if we ignore the new covenant, we're sinning more than we would have had we ignored the old covenant alone. Listen again to the verbiage. We've trampled underfoot the Son of God. We've profaned the blood of the covenant. We've outraged the Spirit of grace. Wow. And then the author ties this warning to the same concept to which he tied our obedient confidence— Before, we could have hope in God because he's trustworthy. Well, if we nullify his great gift, quote, we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, unquote. Therefore, number four, the fourth consequence of neglecting to fulfill God's plan for the church is that we seriously and significantly offend him and we'll find ourselves not merely at odds with God, but in the fearful position of being in the hands of a living God. Now, you may be wondering if I'm suggesting that God will squash you flat for not going to church. No, I'm not saying that. But the reality is that anytime we tell God no and do what we want to do, we are in a very dangerous place. The gift of God and salvation should lead us to drawing near to God in purity, faith, and love that shows itself by collecting with the believers. 
But if we don't do those three things, the reality is that we probably don't have a relationship with him in the first place, which means we're still in danger of spending an eternity in the lake of fire. And that is a scary thing. But as always, there's hope. Perhaps you have made a habit of neglecting the body of Christ. You can change that. You can start the glorious process of corporate sanctification for which God created the church. And allow me to end all of this on a high note and and yet a word of caution as well. Everything I'm about to read should be a glorious joy as you consider how God wants you to interact with your local body of believers. But if you're not planning to invest in church, then you can mark it down that you will likely experience the opposite thing that God is promising here as you live in defiance to God's will. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Have you considered that potentially by sharing this episode, you're contributing to the building up of the body of Christ? The more born-again believers who pack local Christ-honoring assemblies, the stronger and more mature the body of Christ will become on this earth and the more dynamic impact it can have. But more than that, of course, God deserves it. So please share this episode on your favorite social media outlets and join us next time as we start another series that we will revisit as we discuss the final holidays of our celebratory year. Since celebration is identical to worship, we're going to look at the concept of worship more closely. But our focus may surprise you. We're going to compare our modern worship of God to the worship of Old Testament kings of Israel. I'll see you next time for the first episode of that series. If you want to know God better, celebrate Him more, and help the ones you love to do the same, subscribe to this podcast and visit celebrationofgod.com to learn more about this dynamic discipleship resource. And remember, the Celebration of God is a listener-supported ministry.